Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to assemble here together in your name this night. And Lord, we just ask your blessings upon our service. We pray that we will study things that we know. We'll learn things that maybe we've just laid aside. And Lord, most of all, we'll allow your word to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And of course, this is the time we try to study the Bible. And we've just been doing a summary of the, of the minor prophets. And, you know, that's somewhat discouraging. Of course, there's all those promises uh, that are there about what God is going to do and has yet to do. But so many of those things are attached to God's judgment. Of course, that's what God has to get out of the way before we can enjoy uh, the pleasures of heaven. And so tonight what I'd like for us to do is just do a, a study on heaven. Now, according to my best count, which is uh, I don't claim to be exhaustive or, or perfect, but just going through and Typing in the word heaven, 552, heavens, another 130, and the adjective, which is heavenly, comes in another 23 times for a total of 705 times your Bible talks or refers or uses the word heaven or in one of its forms in your King James Bible. Now, you only have 1,100 chapters. If God says it once, that makes it important, amen? Uh, But to repeat it that many times uh, would tell us that that's something that God wants us to know uh, a little bit about. He wants us to understand uh, this concept of heaven. And, of course, the world's favorite refrain is, well, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And, of course, my rebuttal has always been, I'm going to spend a whole lot more time there than I am here, so let's make sure we're not so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Amen? And what we need to do is we need to understand what heaven really is and isn't. And I'm not going to present anything new if you've been in our church any period of time. Uh, You will know these things, but Peter says it's good for us to be reminded of it. It's good for us to take a little time and think about heaven. And, and of course, uh, again, we just get one of the phrases from the world, you know, you Christians, you think you're going to have pie in the sky by and by. I'll tell you what, I've read this book. It's a whole lot better than pie. Now, now, I'm a person that enjoys pie. Good pie, I'd rather have that than cake any day. But I'll tell you what's going to be in heaven is going to be a whole lot better than anything that we could imagine. In fact, one of the reasons I believe God has told us so little about heaven is because for us to really and truly appreciate it, to really enjoy the things that are in heaven, to really look forward to them, Uh, we're going to have to get rid of this sin nature. Uh, We're going to have to get rid of, uh, be separated from this tainted understanding. I mean, everything that we understand, everything that we perceive, and not to be rude or judgmental in any way, but perfect illustration at the beginning of the preaching time, 
Everything we think about starts with me. Doesn't it? And everything that I think about and evaluate usually ends with me. That's human nature. It is only the Word of God that breaks that pattern and gets our eyes off me and starts putting them on God. And heaven, I want you to understand something, heaven is not about you. Heaven was not created for you. Heaven is about God. And if we could grab a hold of that, it would solve all your problems. Right then and there. Because no matter how big the problem is, no matter how deep the hurt goes, when we get our eyes off ourselves and put it on God, it really doesn't matter any more, does it? If we could understand, the biggest problem we face is my personal sin. Because that's what's going to keep you out of heaven, my friend. That's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, It is finished. Because there's nothing left for me to do. And once I have that settled, everything else really pales in comparison, does it not? If I have eternity settled... There's not a whole lot else that really matters. I don't want... Now, I do. And i got to get right with the Lord. I, I let things rob my joy, take my attention off of heaven, uh, take, put my attention on myself, But I want you to understand something. That's not the way God intended it. And so we start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And we'll we'll have to go through some of this because the word heaven is used in specific reference to several different things in the Scripture. Yet here we have, in the beginning, God created the heaven... And the earth. Now, how many people know what's going to happen July 15th? The New Horizons space probe is going to come closer to the planet Pluto than any man-made object that we know about in history has come. And it's going to take pictures And it's going to send those pictures back. And I I read an article on this and it said the probe, when they made this thing, uh, launched it, I think, in 2009 or whatever it was, or 8. They only used existing technology and they... They they made the thing so small so it would travel these great distances that it could only record or transmit. It can't do both. So the scientists have to wait 
for uh, at least a day. I can't remember how long in hours it takes for the pictures to be transmitted as long as we don't get some glitch. And they're going to get a look at Pluto, and then we will too, for the, for the very first time, uh, up, up close, we're going to see it considering all of these things. Yet, here's what it says, in the beginning, God created. Can I tell you what they're not going to discover? Anything new. And we like to divide things, especially if you're into science fiction. Uh, we have uh, our, our universe, and we have our solar system, and, and then we have deep space. And if you ever meet someone that says it that way, just back off gently, careful, don't turn around, uh, you got to be careful because some of that stuff is really nuts. I mean, absolutely insane. And uh, God divides everything that is into two parts. The heavens and the earth. So if it doesn't have to do with what is stuck on the surface of this planet, it's technically uh, God's definition, it's part of the heavens. And later on in this chapter, uh, um, it says that the sky... Uh, let's look at verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven... Be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. So, we have New York Harbor, which is connected to the Versanos Narrows, and uh, flows into the Atlantic Ocean, which is a sea. That's the waters under the heaven. So one of the ways that God uses the word heaven is talking about the sky, the atmosphere. Our, 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 we, we call it our protective barrier between us and what is in outer space. If we did not have our atmosphere, not only would we not have air to breathe, we would be scorched to death by all of these invisible cosmic rays and all kinds of things and and uh, it's amazing that one of our greatest pollutants, ozone, is also the thing that protects us the most. You see, God does things just to torque the minds of these scientists. He, he knew they were coming. You see, the reason your copier in your office is bad is because it produces ozone. The reason the styrofoam cups are evil because it destroys it. So why don't we just pack our office printers in styrofoam and then everything would be perfect, right? I'm sorry. Forgive the sarcasm. But I just, I just love to boast in the ability of our God to create. 
And when someone comes along and says, there's got to be life out there somewhere. I like to remind them that only God has the resources to waste a universe three and a half billion light years across to stick one little planet in the middle of it and put us on it. And that's why he calls it, and God created the heavens and the earth, because that's all there is. Now, the heavens is big. It refers to the sky. There, and we're not going to cover every verse in the Bible, otherwise we'd be here all summer long. But uh, in verse 14, let's read that. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for season and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So now God uses this term, the firmament, or the substance, the span, we might say, or the window pane of heaven. And in that pane, God put lights that shine on the earth. Our sun, our our moon, is 200 and, what is it, 50-some thousand miles away. And our earth is 93, I mean, the sun is 93 million miles away. And we measure our stars in light years. And, of course, we believe that the farther away we can see, the older the picture is. You see, that's why Hubble and the new Webb telescope... Now, I love looking at those pictures. Uh, Somebody went through and took all the uh, Hubble pictures, and, and he said... Look at the beauty that God has created. And that's the way I like to look at it. I mean, they're they're real pictures. Uh, We're not into denying what is out there. It's it's absolutely beautiful, especially when they touch it up and put all the different colors in there and and really make it look uh, uh, beautiful. It's amazing. But those stars and the sun... And the moon that reflects the sun, God created those, and he put them in the firmament of the heavens. So the heavens refer to outer space. And yet, when we get to our New Testament, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has a vision, and he says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And, of course, when we use the word heaven, this is where we go immediately in our context of the Bible. Heaven is the abode of God. It is the realm of God and His angels. And if you like to sit there and think about deep things, think about this. Time does not exist in heaven as we know Because God knew before the creation of the earth that Jesus would die on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you are here tonight and you are saved, God looks and He sees you in heaven already. The only problem is you're here on earth. You know what? Because you haven't died yet. 
uh, because we live inside of time. Now, how many of you are going, Pastor, where are you going with this? Well, I just told you, it's something to sit down and think about. It beats watching TV. There's nothing on the sci-fi channel that comes close to the realities trying to think about this universe that God created. He sums it up in one little verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is there. Deuteronomy 4.36 says, Out of heaven, He, talking about God, made thee to hear His voice, that He might instruct thee. And upon earth He showed thee His great fire, and thou heardest His words out of the midst of the fire. Now, how many of you remember the story of Mount Sinai? Children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. They encamped around the mountain, and God explained to Moses what to do and how to prepare themselves. And the entire nation of Israel, probably somewhere around uh, uh, two and a half million people, encamped around the mount, came out of their tents, and stood there as this huge consuming fire descended on the top of the mountain. And it says that the mountain shook. Could you imagine watching the mountain shake and rocks rolling down the slopes and the ground you're standing on isn't shaking with it? I mean, that's what it says. It says they saw the mountain shake. It didn't say anything about the earth around them. God came down and the trumpet began to blow, a voice of a trumpet. Now, you're going to hear that anytime you hear about God speaking. You're going to hear those things. And, of course, we're waiting for that voice, and we're going to pick it up when we get to Revelation chapter 4 in a few moments. And what was the children of Israel's response as that trumpet began to blare louder and louder, and the intensity begin to fill their heads and make your bones rattle inside your body. And it, and it just kept getting louder until the point that you thought you couldn't stand it anymore. And Moses spoke, and God answered him with a voice. And then that voice came off that mountain and said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he gave them the Ten Commandments and and the elders of the nation of Israel there got together and they went to Moses and they said, we are so afraid of this voice. You go and talk to him and tell us what he says and we'll listen to you. But before Moses got back down off the mountain, 40 days later, what had they already done? They'd already made a golden calf and worshipped a false god. God spoke to them from heaven. Read 1 Peter. Chapter 1. People say, I just, if God would just speak to me from heaven. Peter said, we heard his voice twice. When Jesus was baptized. And when I misspoke on the Mount of Transfiguration and said, let's build three tabernacles instead of one. I heard God's voice twice. But then what does he say? But we have a more sure word of prophecy. Tell you, we don't want to hear God speak from heaven. 
because He already has. What we want to do is obey what we have. But heaven is the abode of God. It is a spiritual realm. It is different. And if you want to sit down and grapple with great things, just start thinking about time and how it works and doesn't apply to God, yet keeps us trapped as if we were inside some kind of terrarium uh, running on our little cages like the little hamsters do until we expire and then we get to be set free from all of these things and we'll be there one day. And time won't matter anymore. I love the song, Amazing Grace, 10,000 years, and people have changed it in modern time because uh, they couldn't think of anything bigger than 10,000 years when the man wrote the song. Now we have millions and billions, and uh, I've heard preachers change it to 10 million years and 10 trillion years, and it really doesn't matter. Because no number can be attached to eternity. And that's where God is. God never was. He's always, He always is. Amen? And so... In these 705 times, the word heaven, forms of the word heaven is used in your Bible. God's referring to the atmosphere. He's referring to outer space. He's referring to the place where He is in existence in the realm of eternity. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which one? Which is in heaven. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. Lord's prayer is John 17. Disciples' prayer is our Father, which art in heaven. You know why why that is in there? Because Jesus said not to call any man father. That we worship only one God. We worship the God of heaven. Amen? And this is different than the other gods of the other religions. And you start looking and and trying to search uh, uh, the characteristics and the descriptions of the gods of other religions, even though they call themselves Christians. I heard an amazing statistic today that in the United States of America, roughly, depending on whose poll you talk about, between 71 and 73 percent of the people living in the United States today identify themselves as some type of Christian. Isn't that an amazing statistic? It's it's true. Less than 2% of the population of this country make up the homosexual community. And yet 73% of the population is now held captive by less than 2%. Could I challenge you that maybe the 73% have kind of lost sight of heaven and God and His glory and His goodness and His greatness 
and are allowing themselves to be pushed around and bullied. And, and these things have to happen. Prophecy will be fulfilled. Make sure you're not fighting against God. But tonight, I'd like us to think about heaven. The place where God dwells. The place where no congressman can pass legislation. Where the IRS cannot ask you for your assets. All they think they do, but they can't. If you've ever heard the entire Marine Corps hymn, the last verse says that it'll be a Marine standing at the pearly gates. Don't think so. God doesn't need guards. He will take care of that all by himself. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Because there are some things that happened in heaven, in eternity. And it's important that we understand that they happened here and that they happened in a place where time doesn't matter and time has no control because it's very personal to you and I who live in time and fail in time. And we go to Hebrews chapter 9 and the first eight verses describe what we call the Old Testament tabernacle, which was superseded by Solomon's temple. And then later, uh, uh, the services were held in, in Zerubbabel's temple, or the second temple that was rebuilt in the, in the book of Ezra. But we get down to verse 8, and we have a summary here. It says, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience. Now, do you get what the the writer, the author of Hebrews is telling us here? He said that Old Testament tabernacle was a figure. It was a picture. It was a physical representation of the real place where God is worshipped. And no matter how many sacrifices were offered by the Levites, there was atonement but not redemption. Atonement's the Old Testament word. It's the idea of rolling back. Redemption is the New Testament word. It is the purchase price paid. The Old Testament tabernacle, the temple, was there. It was a figure for the time then present. Now we get down to verse 11. I mean, verse, yes. And it says, But Christ... Being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Skip down to verse 24 for time's sake. 
For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You know, sometimes people have asked the question, how in the world could Jesus' death on the cross so many years ago pay for my sins today? Well, I'd like to ask you the question, how did Jesus' death on the cross so many years ago pay for the sins of Abraham that was dead and in his grave 2,000 years before Jesus was born on earth and walked on earth? Might it have something to do with the fact that heaven, where God lives, is not constrained by time like where we live on earth? That the heavens are a little different. The place where God lives, it's not the same. That's why God can do things in His perfect timetable and take care of all humanity with one sacrifice in one time. You have to think about that a little bit. But, you see, this has so many applications. This is why you can't earn your salvation by doing good works or putting money in the plate or attending church. This is why no man or church or organization can hand out salvation like they do playing cards or take it away as they think they can. That's why you can't lose your salvation once you get it. Because it's a work that Jesus completed in heaven. And I love to read these verses, especially on Resurrection Sunday. Mary was weeping outside the tomb. And in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And then we read Matthew chapter 28 and verse 9, giving the events of the same morning. And and apparently these things were very closely related in time, as far as you and I are concerned. And it says, And as they went to tell his disciples, the other women that were with Mary, when she was at the tomb... Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So that tells me something happened between meeting Mary outside the tomb and when the two women were met by Jesus before they got to the upper room to report to the disciples what the angel had told them. Now, you can say that's your conjecture if you want. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't violate one verse of Scripture. The writer of Hebrews said that Jesus had to enter into heaven once into the presence of God for us. He tells Mary, don't touch uh, me because I am ascending to the Father. And just a few moments later, the other ladies hold his feet. So apparently, it was done. You see, heaven is the place of redemption. 
Heaven is where our sins are forgiven. If you're going to lose your salvation somehow, you're going to have to go into heaven, which you can't get there. You're going to have to get between the twenty and four elders and the four beasts, which you have no chance of doing. Then you've got to get past the four beasts to wipe the blood stains off of the very lap of God in our thought process, because that's the mercy seat. That's why you have an eternal salvation. Because it was a work that Jesus accomplished outside the realm of human activity. Therefore, human activity cannot influence it. That's why the Calvinists are so full of fluff and stuff. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, It's not truth, that's for sure. Uh, is simply because this was a work that God did. And Jesus said, whosoever will. By the way, the Calvinists have finally been a little more honest in their theology. This is about five years ago. They had a big council of all the real Calvinists in Geneva. And they got together and they said, you know... God saves us whether we want to or not. We have nothing to do with our salvation. Therefore, we really can't know if God saved us or not until we wake up in heaven after we die. So no person who believes they're eternally secure can know they're eternally secure because human reasoning can't explain the Scriptures. And that's what Calvinism is, my friend. Let's let's throw off the cloak of human reasoning and just accept what God did in eternity to save us. And I like what John said in John chapter 3, verse 16, that whosoever... Oh, that's a big word. Well, let's break it down. Whosoever... As long as you're a who and not a what. And if you'll come to God while you're alive, He'll save you. Because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen? Heaven is a place of redemption. Heaven is the place where our sins were paid for. You know, you need to think about that once in a while. When they get passing all these taxes and all these crazy regulations and all of that, I I need to remind myself, and I do, that my citizenship is not only here. My citizenship is in heaven. there's, There's some neat things about heaven that no man can mess up. Amen? And so, let's go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And this is the only place in the Scriptures, really, where God defines and and gives us an actual look into heaven itself. I mean, there are other places. On Mount Sinai, He appeared in a form very similar to here, as described in Revelation 4 and 5, to the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw Him. 
If you read Revelation chapter 1 and, and the man that appeared to Daniel in, in his prophecies, you're going to find out it was the same person. But here, Paul, when he was called up into the third heaven, said, I heard things I can't talk about. And that's it. Verse 1, chapter 4, it says, After this, what's this? The letters to the churches. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, I've had some people tell me that that's not talking about the rapture. Well, if you hate the doctrine of the rapture that much that you can't see it there, there's nothing I can do or say to convince you. But, I mean, the voice of a trumpet saying, come up thither right after Jesus talks to his churches, I mean, you just cannot. You cannot deny the connections that are there and the timeline that is laid out in the Scriptures when Jesus is done with His church, I'll tell you what, like the old preacher said, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the uppertaker. Amen? Uh, I'm waiting to hear that voice. Paul thought and believed that he would hear that voice in his lifetime. He said, we which are alive and remain. And so we have this voice and... John is caught up and it says that he is in the Spirit now. And he sees a throne. And the last phrase of verse 2 is one I want you to grab a hold of. And one sat on the throne. If you want to know what heaven's about, that's what heaven's about. There is one throne, and only one sits on the throne. That is God. And everything else that is in heaven is connected to that. We've only got a few minutes, so we're not going to be able to touch on everything that was in here. But we have the four beasts that are surrounding the throne, and it describes them. In verses 6 through 9, and then verses 10 and 11, we have the four and twenty elders, and lots of people offer lots of explanations, but the simplest one is there are twelve tribes of Israel in the New Jerusalem, and there are twelve apostles of the Lamb, and twelve and twelve makes twenty-four. So that kind of describes saved people that are going to be in heaven. Amen? You're either a member of Israel or... You're a believer in Jesus Christ. And look at their song. And when those beasts give glory and honor, verse 9, uh, the four, uh, verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, if you have any questions about who you are, where you're going, and why you're here, that's the answer. It's all done. So throw your philosophy textbooks away. 
Uh, unless you must take the class to get credit to graduate, but don't listen. Just put the answers down the teacher wants. But here's the real answers. And, and we have been through this passage before, but, if he, uh, but Revelation chapter 5, we have the one sitting on the throne and in his hands a book. And there's a search made for one worthy to take the book out of his hand. And poor old John is getting all worked up because they look in heaven and they look on earth and they look under the earth and they look everywhere in God's creation and they cannot find anyone who is worthy to take the book. And he's, as a human being, the emotions are here and he just starts bawling like a little baby. And the angel standing beside him says, Shut up! He says, Weep not! You're messing up what God is doing here, my friend. God has not lost the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is proving that there is nothing in His universe that compares to Him. If you want to know what heaven's about, that's what heaven's about. It is proving over and over again, the worthiness of God. You read Ephesians chapter 2, that in the ages to come, He wants to prove His worthiness by examining your life as a Christian. This is what I did with this life. And everybody is going to give praise and honor and glory. That's why I despise that song been written, I guess, about ten years ago now. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. But nobody is going to tell you thank you in heaven. Because you didn't do anything. He did everything. God's going to give you a crown, yes. But you know what that crown is for? It's to prove He is worthy. You see, that's what heaven's about. Now, we don't have time to examine the New Jerusalem, but I want you to understand one thing. The New Jerusalem comes down and hovers over the earth out of heaven. So, the New Jerusalem is in heaven. There are no golden streets and gates of pearl in heaven. That's in the New Jerusalem. It's a different place. But... God is going to dwell there. He is going to be the temple there. And the new Jerusalem is going to be the center of the worship of God here on this earth. And God is going to dwell among men. We are going to have the total fulfillment of His name, Emmanuel, God with us. In the Dead Sea... It's not going to be dead anymore. And the kingdoms, uh, I have never visited the United Nations building. I think in my 23 years of living in the city, I may have accidentally driven past it one time. Because I want to knock that statue down out front where the guy's beating his sword into a plowshare. Nothing could be more blasphemous. Man is not going to bring peace on earth. I don't care what Santa Claus does.
But I'll tell you, Jesus is going to bring peace on earth. And they are going to take their weapons and make tools to grow food with. And for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign. And then what's going to happen? Uh, the only thing I can tell you is get saved and you'll find out. Amen? And if you're not saved, you won't know. And you'll still be in that lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. You see, heaven is a place that God created so that we could understand just a little bit about how big He is. It's beyond this universe, and the universe is 13 and a half billion light years across, the best we can measure. Now, sometimes I wonder, I just think about these things. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out that all our measurements and all our understandings is wrong. You know, some people say the sun stands still and the earth rotates around the sun. Other people say the earth stands still and everything rotates around the earth. And if you want to know what I really believe, I think everybody's wrong. I think we'll really understand when God shows us what he did when he makes the new heavens and the new earth. But I'm going to look at all their pictures and I'm going to go, man, how big is my God? Amen? And when they do something stupid, and it seems never run out of dumb things to do, I want you to think about heaven a little bit. And remember, that's where my sins were paid for. The biggest problem I got was taken care of by Jesus in a place where nothing can harm it. That's why he says, No man can pluck them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I didn't quote that exactly right, but we are in the hand of the Savior. The Savior is in the hand of the Father. And you're safe because of what Jesus did in heaven and all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and as we think about heaven, I just ask that you would help us to rejoice in Christ our Savior and to just experience a new level of thankfulness and joy for what He has done for us. And Lord, that we would encourage anyone that is here tonight that does not know you as their Savior, that they would surrender their life to you tonight. That they would not leave this place without knowing their sins are forgiven by the precious work of Jesus Christ, nothing else. We ask you to work in our hearts. Lord, somehow, in our weak, feeble, 
failing lives, we could bring a little glory. That we could be used as an example to show just how worthy and how great you are. We ask you to work in our lives that we may glorify thee. We know that's a prayer that you will hear and answer because it's in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a hymn of invitation.